0: You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. We're in the third week of our series on the book of Titus. If you're new to Rev. Church, what we like to do about 90 to 95 percent of the time is preach verse by verse through entire books of the Bible. We feel like that is the best way for us to study Scripture together. And what we're going to land on in verses 11 through 16 is we're going to talk about false teachers that lead people astray. The entire first chapter is all about leadership. Now, why would that be important to you? You're sitting in here and you're like, I don't want to be an elder. I don't want to be a pastor. Uh, you know, I, don't, I hope I'm never going to be a false teacher. I don't plan on teaching anything. You know what I mean? Why is that important to you? Well, the book of Hebrews says that we're supposed to imitate our leaders. And so as we preach through this, understand, like I told you guys last week, All of this has to do with us and absolutely applies to us. Uh, My uh, son's birthday is on. I couldn't quite remember in the first service, but now I got it down. Okay, y'all, any other dads do that in here? You're like, uh, what year was it again? I can't remember, but I got the date down. April 15th, tax day. I don't know if that was bad, bad, (laughs) you know, bad sign. But he was born on tax day, April 15th, and this past year, Uh, We took the whole family in 2022 on April 15th for my son's birthday to a place called Urban Air. And Urban Air is like a giant trampoline park, one of the coolest I've ever been to. Now, just... Just to let you know this, if you're over 40 years old and you go to Urban Air, you're going to need five bottles of Advil the next day and set aside about six extra hours of sleep, okay? I know from experience, but Titus wanted the whole family to go to Urban Air, and so myself, my daughter, my son, and my wife went to Urban Air, and we jumped on the trampolines, and we did our best to do the ninja courses very badly. Uh, we, did, uh, we did the zip line. We did all that stuff, but in one section of Urban Air, there is laser tag, and it was in the middle of the day because we homeschool our kids and nobody, everybody else was in school. So we were the only ones there. So we decided to play laser tag together as a family. And we split up the girls versus the guys. So it was my wife and my daughter versus me and Titus. But, but before we played, I pulled my daughter aside and I talked her into setting up my wife and getting her out in the open so that we could just destroy her and laser tag and, of course, we did. We all three ganged up on her. And uh, at the end, we, we just the score was just, we just killed her. And she said something. She said, I can't believe that people inside my own family schemed against me. Can't believe it. Well, what we're going to see in Titus at the close of chapter 1 today is that false teachers most of the time don't come from outside the family. They worm their way in, and they're inside the family. They're within the church, in other words. It's people that work their way in, and, and as we're going to talk about, they're kind of wolves in sheep's clothing, so to speak. They, they look like a sheep, but underneath they're a wolf, and, and it's the people inside the church that will lure you out in the middle of somewhere so that you can get shot and die so to speak uh, in what we're doing let's start in Titus 1 verse 10 and let's take a look uh, at the first verse give you some teaching on the attributes of false teachers that Paul gives us he gives us three of them and then we're going to get into some stuff today that I'm excited about man we had such a blast in the first service and learned so much so let's start in verse 10 everybody with me say I am Titus chapter 1, verse 10, for there are many rebellious people, there's the first attribute, full of meaningless talk, second, and deception, third, especially those of the circumcision group. Isn't it interesting that last week, Paul gave us 15 different attributes of elders in the church or people that are leaders in the church, and now he switches gears and he's giving us three different attributes of false teachers in the church that are causing all kinds of harm. The first one, he says, uh, is false teachers are rebellious people. or, Or in other words, I would say it this way, they're accountable to no one. These are people that reject any authority over them and refuse to submit themselves to any oversight and accountability. False teachers typically personally deem themselves the religious authority on any issue. Now, Titus himself knows that submission to authority is something that every single one of us need. Titus even watched Paul submit to the elders in Jerusalem back in Acts chapter 15. So he knows that even if Paul doesn't agree with the decision, he'll submit to those in leadership over them. One theologian said this, Beware of spiritual leaders who publicly call themselves Bishop, prophet, apostle, or God's anointed, yet have no one empowered to strip them of their title should they fail to honor it with godly behavior. What we learn in this first attribute is pastors, elders, teachers, and churches absolutely have to have accountability, and so does every single one of us. Yes, the church is here to encourage you. Yes, the church is here to hold your arms up. But the church is also here to hold you accountable when you do something stupid. Anybody in here ever done something stupid? Raise your hand. A few hands go up. Anybody sitting next to somebody that's ever done something stupid? You knew what was coming. A lot more laughing when I ask that question. I don't understand. More hands go up. It's easier to point it out, isn't it? So number one, they're accountable to no one. Number two, uh, Paul says that they have meaningless talk. Another translation says that they're empty talkers. Or in other words, they say nothing beautifully. Their teaching and their sermons have no content whatsoever, but they're beautiful. They say nothing beautifully. In the Old Testament, Solomon, if you remember in our Ecclesiastes series from a couple years ago, he referred to worldly philosophies as three different things. Vanity, futility, and striving after the wind. In the Old Testament, prophets use the concept that Paul is using here to describe the worship of false gods. That is, the worship of these worldly worldly philosophies, vanity, futility, and striving after the wind. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 3 through 4 it defines this empty talk further when it calls it strange doctrines, myths, endless genealogies or mere speculation. Be careful when you're hearing teaching that is a strange doctrine, a myth, an endless genealogy or just mere speculation. False teachers pass off their personal speculation that quite honestly could be in contradiction to what Scripture says and they pass it off as special revelation or in other words, God told me to say this even if it's antithetical to what the Bible teaches. Now, why do we need to be careful with this? Well, in 2 Timothy 2, verse 17, it's very descriptive when it says, that this type of teaching spreads like gangrene through the church. Translated, it says gangrene through the church. In other words, it will rot the church from the inside out and everything will fall apart. It will rot your family from the inside out and everything will fall apart. It will rot your marriage if you listen to bad teaching and it will destroy your marriage. Paul's making clear here that, that yeah, they're smooth Teachers that say nothing beautifully. They're, they're probably captivating. These are most likely charismatic people that are attractive and well-spoken and very persuasive and very assured of themselves. But all they're doing is cleverly presenting their personal opinions as spiritual truth with no biblical backup. So be careful, the second attribute, they say nothing beautifully. Number three, y'all still with me? Say, I am. They're controlling. Paul says they're deceivers, they're deception. They have deception in their mouths. A better translation of the word for deceivers or deception is they're mind deceivers. Or in other words, they're into mind control. In other words, they launch fear at people to try to control them. You better do what we say or you're going to go to hell. They, they blackmail people. They threaten people constantly in order to try to get them to continue to follow their false teaching. So they, they're controlling. They say nothing beautifully and they're accountable to no one. At the end of this verse, and we're going to unpack this further here in just a minute. <clears throat> at the end of this verse, Paul refers to these false teachers as people that are of the circumcision group. Now, a couple years ago, we went verse by verse through the book of Galatians. And if you were here for that, you know exactly what he's speaking of. Paul, when he says of the circumcision group, is speaking to Christian Jews who taught that the only path to Christ was through Judaism. In other words, the only way you could get saved was if you were circumcised, if you did certain ceremonies and certain sacrifices. So basically legalism, or in other words, do what we deem you have to do in order to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. Now, here's the point that Paul is making in this first verse. These are, as I said earlier in the sermon, wolves in sheep's clothing. He's trying to make sure that we understand that when it comes to false teaching, when it comes to false prophets and things in your life that can harm you, as we're going to see here in just a minute, it's not going to, like, let me say it this way. The devil and the enemy is not typically going to come at you with a red pointy tail, When we think of someone trying to attack us with false teaching or in any way, what we tend to think of is, well, if somebody shows up to church and they've got 666 tatted across their forehead and a pentagram on their shirt, we're going to know the devil's after us. But most of the time, the devil's going to come at you with a Bible in hand, and they're going to sit right next to you at church. Everybody look at the person next to you. Just look at them. Just let go. Don't say nothing. Just watch them. This is why it's so important to know the word. And, you know, during our cult series we did at the end of last year, we talked about orthodoxy and the basic doctrines of Christianity. You need to know those so that you can identify a teaching that is wrong. And this is why at Rev Church we go verse by verse through scripture because it forces us to deal with doctrines that maybe they're not sexy so to speak on the outside but it forces us to deal with passages of scripture like Titus chapter one that's all about elders and this and that it's like man that doesn't sound exciting but we need to know this stuff because we're trying to prepare you for the people that would destroy your life outside the church and let's be real inside the church as well so be very careful he continues in verse 11 and Paul says this, they must be silenced. Man, strong language. I remember one time I had a pastor tell me that uh, when it's time to shoot your dogs in a church, he was speaking figuratively, of course, when it's time to shoot your dogs in a church, you shoot them multiple times to make sure they're dead, whether it's a program whether it's asking somebody to leave because of false teaching or whatever, you make sure they're dead. That's what Paul says here. They must be silenced. In other words, shut them up quickly, effectively, and fastly because they are disrupting whole households by teaching. Dad in here, you hear bad teaching and you start to apply it to your life, it's going to affect everything. It's going to affect your kids. It's going to affect your marriage. It's disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach and that for the sake of dishonest gain. The word for dishonest gain here, translated in the King James Version, it uses a much more descriptive word, sordid gain. I like the way one theologian puts it. He says that this is the equivalent in our day to drug money. So when you think of false teachers, this is why it's important. When you think of false teachers, you think of a drug dealer that is given the first First hit of a drug to a kid free just to get them addicted, and then they're going to charge them after and make tons of money off them. This is drug money. False teachers are el chapo, in other words, if that makes sense. And Paul is saying we should treat them as such because false teachers do everything they do for two things, money and power. That's what they're after, money and power those two things. So be careful when you're following a pastor, when you're following a teacher. Just watch out. Watch out for those. I I don't have anything else in my notes, but I feel like I need to say this. Watch out for the Kardashian-style pastor. You know what I mean? There's an Instagram page I've told you guys about before called Preachers and Sneakers, and there's one called Prophets and Watches. and, and, And honestly, I mean, I don't want to be judgmental here because, yeah, somebody can come from a family with a lot of wealth and and we know that material possessions aren't evil in themselves. It's what we do with them, right? Uh, Somebody could be a genius at the stock market and make a bunch of money but if a pastor or a speaker is living an exorbitant, over-the-top lifestyle and the only way they can do that is by making money off the church, if they're wearing $30,000 shoes, If they're wearing a $250,000 watch, if the ministry has bought them their own private jet, be very leery. Does that make sense to everybody? Drug money, okay? El Chapo, okay? You know what I mean? Be very, very leery of that. Again, having nice things is not bad, but if somebody's driving a Bentley, and again, I'm not judging. Maybe somebody gave them a Bentley. That's cool. Y'all can give me a Bentley if you want to. (coughs) I mean, I'll take a Jeep, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'll take a, a scooter, okay? Y'all can like, y'all hook me up. That's cool. Just be careful. Be careful. Because something's off when a pastor is trying to project a certain lifestyle and trying to draw people with that lifestyle instead of projecting Christ and trying to draw people with Christ and the gospel, if that makes sense. Verse 12 continues. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. And verse 12 is one... <laughs> This is it might be my favorite verse in the book of Titus. Because if you just read this, you're going to miss it. But we're going to get into something here that, that I just love. Paul continues and says this in verse 12 when he quotes a prophet from 600 B.C., a poet from Crete. Remember, they're on the island of Crete. Uh, Paul has planted a bunch of churches there. Titus is there trying to get them healthy again. And so they're on Crete, and he quotes this poet uh, from 600 BC that says this. Paul says one of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. And then he says this saying is true. Can you imagine that? Now, just just so y'all know, I'm not from Crossville. I'm from Knoxville, an hour away. But can you imagine if I was standing up here in the pulpit today and I said. Everybody that's from Crossville is a bunch of lazy people. They're gluttons and they're crazy. You guys that are from Crossville would be like, how dare you talk about us like that? How dare you? Paul, in this instance, is quoting a satirical joke that was known by people in Crete. Paul is, he says, their Cretans are liars, always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. And then he says, I agree with this assessment. And when he says this, Timothy most likely laughed, or not Timothy, Titus most likely laughed. But the people in the crowd, because remember, every time Paul wrote a letter, they read it out loud to the entire church, were probably like, How dare him talk about us like that? Here's why. For people from Crossville, you can talk to other people from Crossville and complain about Crossville. Agreed? That's the pastime in Crossville. Like if you're from here, you talk to other people from here. I've sat at the tractor store before and heard it. But if one of them Yankees from Fairfield... Starts to complain about Crossville people. That ain't going to fly. The Vols, the week they played Georgia in football, in college football last year, if you remember, that week uh, they were ranked number one in the college football playoffs. It it was the first college football playoff ranking that came out. And the University of Tennessee was ranked number one, and they were getting ready to play Georgia and uh, if you don't know this, Pastor Brandon is from Georgia. He's a huge Georgia fan, and uh, he loves Georgia. He's not even from here. We need to pray for him, y'all, in other words, okay? Like, you talk about lazy, you know, <laughs> glutton, all that stuff, you know. I'm just kidding. But Pastor Brandon's from Georgia, and uh, uh, I had texted him that week and said, Hey, man, did you see where UT got ranked number one in the college football playoff? And he texted me back something that just didn't sit right with me. He texts me back, enjoy your number one ranking while you can. (laughs) Now, all week long, I've been talking to fellow UT fans, and I've been saying, yeah, we're probably going to lay an egg. It's what we always do. And I can do that with other UT fans. We're going to pull a South Carolina like we pulled this year. But something just isn't quite right when a Georgia fan says something. Y'all know what I'm saying? You guys remember... Uh, Jeff Foxworthy and Larry the Cable Guy, man, they made fun of rednecks. And when they made fun of rednecks, we laughed. We were like, oh, that's great. But if Kim Kardashian made fun of rednecks, that ain't cool. Because you is not one of us. This is what Paul is doing right here. A couple of things. Number one, notice that Paul is using a joke and humor. Did you know? I just I want to make sure you understand this. I point this out anytime I can. But the Bible is actually full of humor and jokes. I don't know if you knew that or not. From cover to cover, the Bible has humor. We believe here at this church that because of that, it's okay to laugh. It's okay to have humor in our sermons. From cover to cover, there's a there's a great uh, there's a great. Let me see if I can find it. There's a great uh, commentary called Jesus Laughed by Robert Darden. And all he does in that commentary is unpack the humor that Jesus used all through his ministry. Like, I don't know if you know this, let me give you two examples. I don't know if I've told you all this before, but when Jesus said it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to go to heaven, that was a cultural joke he was using to make a spiritual point. When Jesus said, hey, get the plank out of your eye before you worry about the speck in someone else's eye, He was using, it's widely regarded that he was using a cultural joke in order to make a spiritual point. Humor is all through the scripture. Paul here is using humor in order to connect with the audience and make his point. And I absolutely love that. Don't y'all, everybody say amen. Look at your neighbor and say, it's okay to laugh. Find somebody else around you and say, jokes are good, you know. In fact, let me tell you some jokes right now. Y'all ready for them? Say amen. <laughs> I've had several people in the church have to come help me with electrical issues at my home because I'm just not a good electrician, and people are usually shocked when they find out I'm not a very good electrician. Y'all know that? Hmm. Did you guys know that the first French fries were not cooked in France? They were cooked in Greece. I can't believe y'all didn't know that. I've got a buddy that told me one time, he used to wonder what his parents did to fight boredom before the internet, and he told me he asked his 18 brothers and sisters, and they didn't know either, you know. (laughs) Some of y'all ain't getting that one yet. That should be a lot more laughs, okay? (laughs) I'm not going to tell that one. I'll get in trouble. Why did the chicken go to the gym? To work on his pecs, right? You know what I mean? I'm a gym bro. i got to tell that one. Did you know that 10 plus 10 and 11 plus 11 are the exact same? 10 plus 10 equals what, y'all? Okay, 11 plus 11 equals 22. 30% of the audience is not going to get that. You're going to have to go home and be like, I didn't get that. What was he talking about? This week I saw a man standing on one leg at the ATM. He was just there checking his balance, you know. See, God likes that. See, laughing is cool. You got time for one more? Good. We bought a uh, couch a couple of years ago, and the salesman at the furniture store told me this sofa will seat five people without any problems. Well, I'm a pastor, and I know people, so I thought, how in the world am I going to find five people without any problems? You know what I mean? <laughs> jokes are okay, humor is okay, laughing is okay. I say that because if you're an Eeyore in here or you grew up in a religion that said you got to be serious all the time and everybody's got to have the stink face on, sometimes I go to churches when I'm visiting and even in the choir, they look like they want to murder everybody in the crowd. You know what I mean? And so jokes are okay, humor is okay, but notice, notice, in the midst of a serious subject like false teaching that's destroying households in the church... Paul uses humor. Now, Paul uses this humor to drive his point home because while he and Titus thought that this was funny, the crowd was probably like, wait a minute, you're not Jeff Foxworthy. You're not Larry the Cable Guy. You're not a UT fan. You're not from Crossville. He's on the island of Crete. Remember, this isolated little small island. You can't say that. Paul most likely offended most of the hearers to drive the point home of you guys are doing the same thing you've always done. You're following the same false teachers. Your culture is broken in other words. And you've got to change. He continues in verse 13. Are y'all still with me saying, I am. When he says this, this saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. Notice that even when we rebuke false teachers, it's in the hope that they're going to be restored and come to faith. Paul says rebuke them, rebuke the false teachers, rebuke the ones that are listening to the false teaching as well, so that they will be sound in faith. He says, and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. In, in verse 14, Paul points out the two different types of false teaching. Every kind of false teaching falls into one of these two categories, and they're pretty simple to look out for. First, he talks about don't let them listen to Jewish myths. That's Jewish mythology, and that is what we would call hyper spirituality in the church today. Be careful. When you're listening to a teacher, a pastor, a Sunday school leader, anyone that tries to teach you hyper-spirituality. In other words, really, they're the same thing. You know, there's these mystic things of God that can't be understood. And I'm going to teach you these things. And I'm the only one that can teach you these things. And you've got to do this. And you've got to do this. And you've got to speak in tongues in order to prove you're saved. Typically, and I know there's some great Pentecostal churches. I've got great Pentecostal brothers and sisters and charismatic brothers and sisters out there. But this tends to lie in those type of denominations. So be very careful when you hear hyper-spirituality. The other thing he says is, uh, don't follow merely human commands of those who reject the truth. What that is, is it's a doctrine called asceticism. And asceticism is designed as this, rigorous abstinence from anything pleasurable. Does that sound familiar? To put it shortly, legalism. It's legalism. It's, hey, follow these rules that are outside of scripture or you're going to go to hell. You know, make sure you do this, this, and this that we deem are the things you shouldn't do or should do compared to the other church that thinks you should do this, this, and this that we deem are the things you should do or you shouldn't do or you're going to go to hell. Watch out for those things. You've got to be very careful in certain denominations like independent fundamental Baptists. Uh, Southern Baptist churches tend to lean this way. you got to be very, very careful. Stay away from hyper-spirituality and stay away from legalism. What you're looking for in a church and a teacher is that they teach the Bible, they teach God's grace, and they focus on what God focuses on in the Scripture. It's all about truth. Does that make sense, Rev. Church? Say amen. If you'll allow me to go on a rant for a minute, let me just say this. I didn't plan on doing this, but I did it first service. I feel like I need to say it again. It absolutely amazes me at what people want me to preach on. blows my mind. I don't mind people coming to me and saying, great sermon, or did you think about this? Sometimes in between services, you'll tell me something, and I'll use it in the next service, you know? So I don't mind that at all, but it blows my mind when people are like, you know, Pastor, you need to to get on to these young people because they're getting too many tattoos. Are you freaking kidding me? You want me to get up and talk about something extra biblical, like you shouldn't get tattoos, you shouldn't get piercings? When I've got young people coming in, have you seen what's going on in their generation And you want me to run them off with a bunch of crap that the Bible doesn't even say? Are you kidding me? You want me to get up here and preach about politics? Are you kidding me? I've got people coming in every weekend that want to blow their brains out, y'all. Marriages that are on the verge of divorce. And you want me to get up? No, what they need to hear is the gospel and God's grace. And they need to be transformed by his word. Listen. They don't need to hear about Trump or Biden. They need to hear about Jesus. I'm not worried mainly about an election on this earth. I'm worried about their election to heaven. An addict comes in and you want me to talk about ice, like Iso Jesus, the scripture, and just pat them on the back. And t- No, they got to be set free, man. They need the grace of God in their life. This is why this is so important and why the church is so. Neutral and impotent because we're preaching a bunch of junk that makes no difference in people's lives. I took it upon myself uh, this past week just to watch five to ten sermons from churches around Crossville and, you know, within 50 miles. And let me say this. Number one, there's some great churches in Crossville. Wonderful teaching. that are really doing a great job. But, boy, I was grieved. I was grieved, man. Because there's a lot of bad teaching out there by so-called pastors, elders, teachers. isogeating scripture, making the scripture all about me, 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 when it's all about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Legalism, you got to be baptized, you got to be baptized in order to be saved, you got to do this, you you got to speak in tongues, you got to do this. And none of those things are bad things, but they're making them bad things because they're completely adulterating and butchering the scripture. Preach the Bible, preach truth, preach God's grace, and preach the gospel. John Stott says there's three questions you ask when you hear a sermon or you hear teaching. Number one, is its origin divine or human, revelation or tradition? Number two, is its essence inward or outward, spiritual or ritual? And number three, is its result, and here's the kicker, a transformed life or merely formal creed? Good teaching does one thing, and here's how you know if it's effective. Good teaching. okay. Good, good sermon. You hear a sermon, here's how we judge its effectiveness. Does it lead to Christian conduct? Does it change lives? When you hear a sermon, does it make you say, hmm, I need to stop doing this or start doing this? Or, hmm, I need to keep doing this because they're telling me this is good. I need to continue down this path. In other words, We don't judge sermons by how many hands are raised at the end. Does it make sense to everybody say amen? Not a bad thing. Not a bad thing, but it's not the main thing. You don't walk away from church going, Man, that was a great sermon because the altar was packed out and people were praying like crazy. Not a bad thing. But that can happen every single week in a church. And people can go home and an hour later, nothing's changed in their life. And we've all seen it. Every single one of us have seen it. We've seen those services where 100 people raise their hand and none of them are in church a month later. Highly emotional services where everybody comes down to pray and nobody's life is changed. The word of God changes lives. Thank you for allowing me to rant. Everybody still with me? Say I am. Verse 15. To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. So what he's saying is, false teachers don't know Christ, and when you don't know Christ, nothing is pure. Nothing is pure. And, and also, I believe what Paul is unpacking here is, what's going to happen if you allow false teachers in, is you're going to make a, a, a little bit of wiggle room on something that's very important, and eventually in the long run, it's going to lead to pure insanity. What am I saying? The devil is very smart, y'all. Do you think in the United States of America 50 years ago, we thought we'd be where we are right now, even inside the church? No, the devil didn't come in and say, we're just going to support a woke agenda or whatever. All of a sudden, the devil came in and he started just to allow the church to, to kind of give a little bit on a few things. We'll just let this person teach this and this person teach that. And then eventually now what's happened is in many denominations and many churches, They've gone completely nuts. Why? Because nothing is pure. John Wesley started the Methodist denomination. He would die if he knew what the Methodist denomination believes now. They have transgender pastors teaching kids now, y'all. Nothing's pure anymore. Does this hit home for America? Everybody with me? Say amen. I'm not trying to offend you. We just preach the Bible and we're non-apologetic about it. Little at a time. So you better watch. You better watch. You better make sure that there's no false teachers. Verse 16, we'll close with this. Y'all still with me? Say I am. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Paul closes this passage, and next week we'll get into the behavior of. Uh, everyone in the church, and it gets more specific outside of leadership, but this applies to everyone as well. He closes and says the number one attribute of false teachers is they're religious, but they have no faith. They're religious, but they have no faith. Chuck Swindoll would put it like this, genuine belief in the truth of God produces a lifestyle of godly character. The absence of good deeds is good cause for suspicion. False teachers merely profess to understand spiritual truths, but are in fact incapable of godly behavior because they do not possess the truth that they claim. Um, Three of my favorite books in the New Testament are 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. I love them because it's Paul writing to a younger pastor and giving both these guys advice, Timothy and Titus. And uh, When we started the church, I leaned heavily on these books. And if you read uh, the letters to Timothy and then read, put it side by side, the letters to Titus, you'll find that they have almost the exact same themes in them. But they're just written in a different way. And I believe it's because Paul knew that Timothy had a certain personality and Titus had a certain personality. So when you read the book of Timothy, you'll see Paul encouraging uh, Timothy. Timothy, to me, seems like he was a little uh, nervous, probably dealt with anxiousness probably didn't have a whole lot of self-confidence. So that's why in the book of Timothy, you read things like, hey, don't ever let anybody look down on you because you're young. Uh, Timothy, drink a little wine with your dinner because your stomach's in knots, I know, all the time. And so he's constantly encouraging Timothy, trying to get Timothy to walk into his purpose. And then you read the book of Titus and what took two letters in Timothy, it takes three chapters in Titus because, like, Paul just gets straight to the point with Titus, which kind of tells me that Titus was probably like a top A personality. He just wanted Paul to tell him what to do. He's probably a little tougher, you know what I mean? And didn't didn't need to be as sensitive with him. So he comes right out the gate in chapter one. He's like, hey, this is what your pastor should be doing. This is what your elders should look like. This is what false teachers look like. Uh, Titus chapter three, uh, he tells him how to kick people out of the church, warn them a couple of times, and kick them out. They gone, you know what I mean? And so they're totally different personalities, but Paul really says the same thing to them. And so when it comes to this verse, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, there's a more familiar verse that you've probably heard before, where Paul writes to Timothy basically the same thing and talks about people that have a form of godliness, but they deny his power. And then he says, have nothing to do with such people. The NLT, just to clarify, says that there will be people that will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. The ESV says they have an appearance of godliness, but they deny his power. Avoid such people. Religious with no faith. Next weekend is one of the biggest student events of the year for Revolution students here at uh, Revolution Church. Does anybody know what's coming up next weekend? Anybody? Anybody? Say it if you know it. Chosen Youth. Chosen Youth. If you don't know what Chosen Youth is, uh, Pastor Brandon has like 100 students signed up uh, for a 24-hour deal where they come on Friday night, they stay till Saturday night, and he he calls it like the best 24 hours of the year for you and stuff like I mean, it may not be, but that's how he like markets it, you know what I'm saying? And uh, And Chosen Youth is absolutely insane. Uh, It's totally nuts. These kids have a blast, uh, and we just love it. Amen, Rev. Church. And thanks to all the volunteers that volunteer with the teenagers, because uh, I honestly don't know how you do it. Amen, Rev. Church. If I had to be a middle school boys leader, uh, I'd probably be on the front page of the paper from beating one of them. Y'all know what I mean? So... I love your kids, but I ain't volunteering in the youth, okay? I'm glad they're here, but I couldn't do it. And so, so thank you to the volunteers. But these kids have a blast, man. They got this tradition where they all jump in the lake, and it's always in January, so it's freezing. And, and they walk away talking about it all year, and I know how excited my kids are about it because I've got two that are in the student ministry, and they just can't wait. It's what they've talked about for like three months. Well, last week, Pastor Brandon hit me up and said, Hey, man, can you do a promo video for me just on your phone? Uh, Because I want to put it up on social media and get the kids excited because every single year of Chosen Youth so far on Friday night, he has me preach. And that's kind of strategic in why he does that because uh, he's trying to get these kids plugged in on Sundays and plugged into the church as a whole, if that makes sense. Like uh, Pastor Brandon would tell you, like his goal with the student ministry is, let me put it to you this way. He would rather have 100 kids with 80 of them coming on Sunday morning than have 200 kids and only 50 of them are coming on Sunday morning. Does that make sense? Because we're trying to make disciples, not just put butts in seats. And so, so he has me come preach on Friday night uh, because he wants the kids to connect to me so that they'll come on Sunday morning, even though I'm an old man now and all that stuff. And so, so, so he asked me to do this promo video, and I was like, yeah, dude, I'll do a promo video, but I got a question for you. Can I do a wrestling promo? Would that be cool? I had it down. I was like, man, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be like, Revolution students, let me tell you something, brother. This coming Friday, January 27th, 6 p.m., 228 Interstate Drive at Revolution Church, the best 24 hours of your life. You better believe the Manila Gorilla is going to be there, baby. And we're going to bring it down. We're going to fire it up. We're going to tear it up, and you are going to have a good time. So don't miss this Friday, January 27th, 6 p.m., 228 Interstate Drive. Be there or be square. Amen, y'all. Like, that was what I was going to do. Is that awesome? You know, I could have done better. I'm losing my voice today from doing that. So uh, I was fired up, man. And he was like, you're such a nerd, man. Nobody watches that stuff but you. And so anyway, I didn't get to do one, but I got it in anyway. I did it on a a Sunday morning. (laughs) I was thinking about this verse, and it got me to thinking about me wanting to do that promo. And my mind works weird. I thought about a guy named Nikita Koloff that came to our church and preached around year two of Revolution Church, the first or second year when we were at the movie theater. And Nikita Koloff uh, was a pro wrestler in the 80s and early 90s, and he was known as the Russian Nightmare. And this was like during Drago and Rocky IV and, you know, we're at the end of the Cold War and everything. And he's like, they've got this thick Russian accent and he's from Russia. and He's talking about Americans like they're so bad. And yeah, he actually got voted most hated wrestler of the year several years in a row and was a great pro wrestler. Well, when I had him come preach, I met him at Gondola for the first time to take him out to eat before one of the services back when we had a Saturday night service. And he talked to me, and he didn't have a Russian accent. (laughs) He's from Minnesota. (laughs) He's a pro wrestler. The Russian nightmare was a gimmick, is what they call it. He's playing a role as a guy from Russia that hates Americans but it's not really who he is. I was thinking about that and I was thinking about the church and it's like man, we got way too many pro wrestling Christians minus the wrestling. Don't we? I mean, I apply this to myself and I think stuff like, man, if the only time I read scripture is when I'm doing sermon prep, then I'm a professional pastor but I'm not a real Christian, right? the only time I pray with people is when people need me to pray with them, but I don't have my prayer life in order behind the scenes. I'm a professional minister, but I'm not a real Christian. I'm I'm one of these guys, religious, but no faith. I encourage you to take inventory and ask yourself, man, am I just living a gimmick? Am I just playing a role? You know, am I I the pro-wrestling Christian minus the wrestling, just I show up to church, I know the Christianese, I know the language, I know how to answer the basic questions, but I don't have a love for God. I'm denying His power. Maybe you're here this weekend and and you do know Jesus, but you're really denying His power. Maybe you're struggling in your faith in some area, and I want to encourage you, you're here this weekend and you need healing, but you've kind of given up. You're denying the power of God in your life. I know it's been a long road you haven't gotten it yet physical healing emotional healing whatever and you're just like man don't deny his power you're here this weekend and you're looking for peace and you just don't think it's attainable because it's been so long I've tried I've tried I've tried I just don't know if God can give me peace don't let that demonic thought come in don't deny his power you're here this weekend and you need a miracle listen to me y'all There's only one person on the history of the earth that did miracles. That is Jesus Christ. He can perform a miracle in your life. Don't give up. Don't deny his power. If you're in need of God's grace this weekend and you think, man, he's not going to save me. I know what all I've done. I know what all I've been through. I know there's no way. God can't give me his grace. Don't deny that. Don't deny the power of God. He loves you so much he hates your sin but boy he loves you so much he sent his son to die for you and that as a result of you putting your faith in him he will save you so that you can be adopted into his family and be with him for eternity you struggling with that don't deny the power of god let me summarize my sermon by telling you guys this four things this is what we've went over i would encourage you to take a picture with your phone so you can remember this passage number one Give thought and prayer about who is teaching you spiritually. Don't just go to a church because it's the cool church to go to. Honestly, I was thinking about it this week. I mean, I, I said this a few weeks ago that we know most people make a decision about where to go to church based off where their kid's like. Is the tail wagging the dog here? Y'all know what I'm saying? Mom and dad, you need to think about who's teaching. What are they hearing? What What, what do they believe? So, so give thought and prayer about who is teaching you spiritually. Number two, no basic doctrines so you can identify false and opinionated teaching. Number three, make sure your spiritual leaders and pastors have accountability. If there's no accountability at the top, it's just a matter of time. And that's not just in churches. That's everywhere. And number four, don't be a fake believer in Christ. Fair enough, Rep. Church? Say amen. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. I thank you for every single person that's here, God. Uh, thank you for their patience with me as I've went a couple minutes over. And, uh, Lord, I just pray for myself, God, first and foremost, that I wouldn't be fake. I'd be somebody that pursues you, pursues righteousness and and holiness and doing what you want me to do. I'm not wanting to do what makes me happy like everybody says. I'm pursuing holiness. I don't follow my heart because my heart is deceptive, God. I follow your word. We love you. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.